Welcome to the Optimal Performance Guide, where we have conversations with high-level humans to provide clear guidance to the mindset and habits required for optimal performance. I'm your host, Rory Cordial. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know we recorded this interview before the COVID-19 pandemic just so you know why it's not referenced during our conversation. Enjoy the show. Okay, guys, I'm super excited to have my good friend Marty Fish on the show today. I began my career working with Marty, so it's an honor to have him kick off the show. Marty is a former professional tennis player reaching a career-high ranking of seven in the world. He's an Olympian that won silver medal for the U.S., and is the current Davis Cup coach for the USA. Marty's a great human and friend and a phenomenal athlete. He shares so much valuable information into what it takes mentally and physically to perform at the highest level in tennis. He takes us on his own personal journey to transforming his body with disciplined diet and training that eventually led to the best years of his tennis career. He lets us into his mind and educates us on tennis strategy sharing how he would play players differently based on their strengths and weaknesses. And he shares his experience with anxiety and mental health that halted his tennis career and his journey back to a healthy state of mind and body to be able to end his career on his terms. I'm linking an article that Marty wrote for the Players' Tribune that goes into great detail here and is a valuable read. Twitter is the best place to find Marty in the social network world, so please follow him there. Okay, enough talking. Let's get to the show. Marty, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah. Like I was saying, this is my first sit-down in-person interview, so super excited you're here. Very grateful because I know I would not be sitting here in L.A., <laughs> If I hadn't met you, right. like, yeah. I feel that you really changed the trajectory of my life. So just so grateful for meeting you and having you as a friend. Yeah. Thanks, man. Isn't it funny how, yeah, it's funny how we sort of think back. I, I, um, you know, when I was playing, I, I wanted, um, you know, I needed someone to sort of take care of my body and, and I hadn't, I hadn't fully bought into that aspect of of it you know you're kind of looking around searching around well you know who who can you get who can you find well there's just one guy he's from montana and um he works out at athletes performance and in in arizona and he's been working with some football players and whatever and it was just like all right let's just do it i'll go pick him up at the airport and we'll, you know and so i <laughs> head to the airport and it's a funny story that you remember kevin o'connor and i talk about where you're like I drive to the airport and there's this guy there with like a bunch of bags and like some jorts on, some jean <laughs> shorts, and like just looks not like uh, how I dressed. Or I'm like, should I just keep driving or should I just pick him up? And uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully, I stopped and and um, you know sort of started the. I sort of feel like you know me taking that um that step in my career to you know to sort of take care of my body and really understand that that was important um 
that was a, a huge part of of my having success and then ultimately you know having the most success um uh you know eventually a few years you know a few years later i was thinking um yeah because you just jumped on a plane and you didn't know me either you know you didn't know what you were getting into it was a job and like you know yeah and uh was an athlete i guess and and you know but a sport you probably didn't know much about yeah i didn't then that's the thing like like I know the body really well and training and biomechanics and, uh, but as far as tennis, like coming from Montana, it's, it's like not really yeah on the map. Yeah. I mean, but you would but, train, you know, and that's different, right? You would train a football player differently than you would train me. A yeah, of player. course. You of know, course. we train differently. Um, we train anaerobically. Uh, you know, I didn't lift, you know, I didn't lift uh, chest, you know, I didn't do, you know, do, chest or biceps very often at all Mm -hmm. um that wasn't where um you know shoulders rotator cuffs um obviously a lot of legs stuff like that and then and then you know how much of actual tennis is staying healthy right because it's just never it's never ending it's 12 month cycle just you know just sort of you know kind of an 11 month thing you get six weeks off and then you're right back at it as you know so um so when you know when do you uh when do you push um you know when do you take care of the body when do you you know those those things are so different than you know a a football player's off season yeah maybe you could explain the 11 month quickly like how the season is because that is something that i don't think everyone maybe knows how long and how much travel is involved in tennis and just how much you guys practice per week. There's just so much that goes into preparing the mind and the body to be able to go year after year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of it is equally important in tennis. You know, it's the only major sport when you leave the locker room, you're all by yourself. So um, the mind is obviously massive. Um, And then if your body doesn't work or if you can't do it for long enough, that doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter how good you are if you're not fit. I think it's the toughest sport in the world. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think it's the toughest sport in the world. Nothing for us is guaranteed. Um, uh, the next round is not guaranteed. Um, uh, if we have a bad day, we're going to lose. Um, and it's on us, you know. And when, you know, there's no help out there. Uh, so, when you leave the locker room, you're completely all by yourself trying to problem solve and figure out how to beat the guy, the one guy, one day across the net. And, uh, you know, so how much of that is how good you are at your actual craft? How much of that is how fit you are? Um, and then how mentally tough are you? Um, and there's not a lot in tennis that you can actually control. There's not a ton in sports that you can actually control, but in tennis specifically, there's only a couple things, you know, you can control your fitness, you know, how fit you are. You can control your attitude and you can control your effort. And that's pretty much it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't control how the other guy's going to play. You can't control how you're going to play that day. Um, you can't control the weather. Um, most of our stuff is outdoors, um, different surfaces, usually in different time zones, crazy time zones. Even schedule um, play too could be scheduling things third like third after ten could be who yeah. knows when. You just you have no idea um, on a lot of that. But there are some major things that you can control. 
Um, mm-hmm. um, and those have everything to do with the mind and the body. And, um, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't great at, um, at either one of those growing up. Um, I was really good and talented at playing tennis. Yeah. Um, and, and I knew that I always had that like one match in me where I could beat a specific player, um, um, at any, you know, sort of any, any given time you were with me when we beat Federer, um, and we beat him, you know, six, three, six, two, you know, in the semis of Indian Wells. So like we, we, I always knew that like there was a tournament in there throughout the year or a match in there where I could beat anyone. It was just consistency and consistently could I do that. And over the course of the beginning or first part of my career or first half of my career, I couldn't, you know, I mean, I couldn't, I was, wasn't mature enough. Everyone matures at a different rate and different pace. And I just didn't, didn't understand. I thought I was working hard. I wasn't lazy. I just didn't understand what professionalism was or like how dedicated and disciplined you had to be to, to get everything out of what you have. And what I had was a lot. Um, so if I could marry those two or three things together, if I could mesh the, the mental and the physical with my, um, you know, uh, uh, ability to play, um, and ability to play different styles, um, you know, there wasn't really much, uh, telling how far I could go. Um, I thought I could go a long way, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and realizing that, uh, after 2009, after 2009, I had a, a knee surgery where I knew I was, you know, I was too health. I was too heavy. Um, I wasn't heavy, like where you walk by me on the street and go, that guy's out of shape, but you'd go for a professional athlete, especially in that sport, certainly out of shape. Um, and, uh, and that was like kind of that first moment I was already married. Um, we didn't have any kids yet, but I was, you know, I'd already added someone to, um, um, to take care of, which is obviously different and, um, comes with different press pressures and stresses and, and, uh, and figuring out, um, uh, that there wasn't a ton of time left. Right. I mean, I was 28 years old, 27, 28. And like that, that's young in normal people years, but in tennis years, it's getting up there. Um, and you know, especially at that time, there wasn't many guys who were playing past 35, you know, Federer's pretty, uh, has, has opened a lot of guys eyes now being 38 years old that you can still play at a high level late, you know, late in your career, late, late in life. So, uh, or tennis life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so setting out and really focusing on my body, um, and changing my life, changing my life, changing my lifestyle, um, changing what I ate, how I ate, when I ate, what I ate, certain things, certain times, uh, monitoring and measuring what went into my body every time, um, was, just sort of trickled down obviously it got me into great shape but it trickled down to the rest of my life it changed it changed the way i trained um changed the way i was able to train Mm -hmm. which was which was amazing right like i would go out before i lost you know and end up losing 30 pounds before i lost the weight i would go out and i would train i would train my forehand was my worst shot so i'd train my forehand and work on it for a long time work on it for like an hour hour and a half and then i get tired so i'd stop 
because right. you know you get tired and you stop and now after that after 2009 um i was able to start training um and i'd train that forehand and i'd go and i'd go and then all of a sudden like two and a half hours go by and i'm still not tired so i'd still continue to do it so like it it, it sort amazing, of trickled huh? down yeah it like trickled down to everything in my you know within my game i was able to play different styles um because I was an aggressive mind minded player and I liked coming forward. I liked being the aggressor, but uh, there's a fine line there because if you're, if you're not playing well, you, you know, you have to have something to fall back on. I didn't have, I didn't have my fitness to fall back on in my, you know, sort of beginning and middle part of my career. Um, now all of a sudden with this new fitness that I had, um, I could fall back on plan B, which was just to, make every ball and just make if the guy was going to beat me make it really painful um because i knew i could i could last as long as anyone um on the court so what a uh, weapon yeah right and 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 it just it 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 allowed me to be way more consistent um with my results which were never the case um and it uh it, it allowed me the confidence to know that i could play with anyone every day instead of um, just every once in a while. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have conversations about maybe like some players needing to hit longer uh, or some players maybe not. Do you say at one time maybe Sampras hit shorter practices or just like do you need as much at a certain point, uh, you don't need as many reps or you know what I'm saying? Something yeah, like I mean, that. Later, later in your career, you don't. You don't need quite as much on-court playing as you do when you're 20, right? You're still developing when you're that age. Even into your mid-20s, you're still kind of developing your weapons and figuring out what you're great at and what you're not and how to how to get around your weaknesses and staying in between your threshold of, of what you can and can't do is really important. Um, and understanding that's really important. Um, uh, understanding your weapons and how high you can go with those weapons and then also um, and what you can do with those weapons, but also understanding your floor and understanding what you can't do and staying, uh, staying above that. Um, that was, that's important as well. And so you learn those things um, throughout, throughout your career. And so later, you know, later in my career, you know, once I turn, you know, 30, 31 kind of around then you're, you don't need to spend as much time on the court as you do off the court, you know, taking care of your body, right. getting physically, you know, getting yourself into the positions that you need to be able to play for five hours at a time. Um, and, being smart. Uh, yeah, being smart and diligent with with your training, your um, uh, even away from training, your, just your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I made a lot of choices throughout my career, especially on the on the the good part, you know, the, the best parts. Um, I made every choice that I made, uh, every decision that I made was around, had, had something to do with tennis, whether it was like my wife wants to go to a movie that night, but the movie starts at eight 30 and I'm training the next day. Okay. Well, how long is the movie? Well, it's, uh, you know, two hours and 15 minutes. Okay. That's 10, 15. Okay. There's some previews. Okay. That's like 11. I'm not going to get back until it's like, I'm not going to get enough sleep. I'm not going to go. Sorry. And I made those choices. Um, so it was, yeah, it was like the, you know, it's it's figuring out a lot, well, a lot of times with younger players that I see now, it's like 
Do they really understand the dedication and discipline that it takes to get everything out of their them personally? You know, because everyone's got a different trajectory. Like I was never going to be as good as Federer, you know, or Djokovic or Nadal or Murray or anything like that. Um, but I was better than a lot of guys. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I had aspirations of, of, you know, maybe winning a major at some point or winning a big event, um, um, at some stage. And, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just whatever, whatever it is, get maximizing your, your, you know, gifts and, 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 and how you, you know, how you handle that. Um, so, you know, so that, that's huge. Just figuring that out. Yeah. I was thinking like the, the 90 minutes where you said before, maybe you'd get tired and that would be it if you're working on your forehand. And then all of a sudden two and a half hours and you're like, I feel great. And the confidence that you get that you can go all day yeah. with someone, it's fun getting better, right? Yeah. And being around that environment and like, you're already so good, but there, the, the shift that you made and the commitment to, to lose the weight, to training, and then to actually feel in your body the difference. I, I would imagine like how fun that must yeah. feel. Yeah, you wanna be confident. Um, uh, I, I got myself to a point where I, I felt like I was training harder than anyone in the world. Um, and, and whether I was or I wasn't didn't matter to me because um, I put my head every night on my pillow going, I've done everything I can today to be as good as I can be, as cheesy as that sounds. That's that's what you have to do. Um, <clears throat> how am I gonna get better? Um, yeah, and like in your, in your world, you can't just stay, you know, there are new ways of me and methods of, of training athletes and, and, and um, you know, rehabbing athletes and stuff. And if you don't grow with those, you just stay, you're just gonna be so far behind. You're just gonna be so old. So I see so many, times I got a uh I've been blessed to to meet a lot of cool people I love sports so like yeah. meet a lot of cool people within sports um and even some on my my favorite teams um that I watch and and I actually ask them a lot about like how they train or how their physios are and how their trainers are how do they you know when they do get an injury um and it it blows my mind how old school, like, especially in like football, for instance, how mm -hmm. old school those trainers are nowadays, um, that are still there. I can't believe it, that they're still in those positions of power on those teams where, you know, they're just, you know, football is such an, you know, such a gladiator sport and such a, you know, let's just throw some, throw some icy hot on it and, and, and just get back out there kind of thing. And, and, a lot of those guys that train those guys or try to get them healthy after an injury are just old school. It's supposed to throw some ice on it and strengthen it up and, and you'll be good to go in a couple of weeks. And it's just, there's so many better ways to do it and so many different ways to do it. And I've seen it a lot. Um, so yeah, if you stay, you know, like anything else, if you just, you know, stay stagnant and you don't learn um, how to get better in any profession, um, you know, you're going to get passed by. Yeah, because the football, there's 53 guys. That sport, it's so violent. Every Sunday, like, then, it's, the, like a car then crash. it's like car crash. It's yeah. just like triage. So I know it's difficult for the training staff, but you're exactly right. And I think tennis or even you saying um, 
you you even taking a chance bringing me on or and then uh, and Christian and having like a commitment to someone helping to take care of your body and more so today there's more players with like a physio traveling yeah. with them there's or, more guys learning that if you can't if you're not healthy a coach can't help you you know so right. like, people are are spending more money on on their physios and, and, and strength and conditioning guys than they are on their coaches nowadays because if you can't, you know, if these guys can't stay healthy and they can't play, how's the coach going to help them? You know, so like if I got a hamstring and this guy's still pushing me, you know, those things, they could just get worse and worse and never get better and never heal and right. the coach can't help you at all. So, yeah, you got guys that are learning that the body is maybe more important to take care of than actually being, you know, ac your actual craft. And with your friends in the team sports, are they now hiring private physios or getting extra help outside some of teams? Some are. Or? Yeah, I mean, some are. And some, I mean, you've worked with some of those guys, yeah. you know, some of those team sport guys. I mean, the smart ones do. Um, um, ironically, the ones with a lot of money do because they can A, afford it, but B, they're really good and they're mm -hmm. smart. You know, some of the ones that don't do it, you know, they just don't understand how important it is. And uh, it sort of you know, seeing it from the outside now sort of blows my mind. Um, you know, you have billion dollar sports and, you know, these and, and you've got these guys that are taking care of these, you know, Ferraris and they can't get out there because they're just throwing ice and, you know, let's just throw some ice on it and, and get back out there. And like it's just, it just doesn't work like that. I want to talk about 09, 010, the getting married, the knee surgery, then the, the commitment to lose weight and how that uh, just kind of springboarded. Was there a conversation that you had and was the diet uh, kind of like, okay, I'm going to be super disciplined on this. And it sounds like it really opened the door to yeah. you being able to train long, et cetera. And then even, even how you mentioned the movie scenario that how did that mind shift happen where you really made this commitment to, yeah. to, Tennis. A couple, a couple different things. I mean, like early on in my career, like I said, I was just inconsistent. I had some results. I got into top twenty in the world before I was twenty-one years old. Uh, so I knew I had the ability, um, you know. And then throughout then, I, you know, I had a couple wrist surgeries, knee, and you know, I just couldn't back. I could never get healthy because I just, I didn't truly understand the 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 dedication that it took to, to the professionalism, um, uh, part of it. And, and, um, it, it, look, I, I, I had a, a, a set of a knee surgery on September 28th. I remember the day because it was our one year anniversary, 2009. So we got married 2008. You were there. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, September day. 28th. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, there's a good story there, but we'll, um, for another time. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, so I, I knew that, that I was getting later in my career, you know, I was 27, 28 years old, almost 28 years old, 27. And, um, and I had the time, uh, because in tennis, we just don't, you know, the season ends mid November and then you got to start again in January, early January, if not before that in Australia. So plane you know right. how much yeah so like how much time can you actually change your body or how much can you actually change your body in like six weeks right. and that's w without taking any time off period just to just reset reset your mind body and whatever 
Um, so I knew I had the time. That was one. Um, I had always wanted to do it. I just didn't, for whatever reason, you get over the hump of hiring a chef or finding and just kind of everything came into place. Um, everything came together where we found the right person for the right price. Um, she was very, uh, she, meaning to, to, to cook the meals, a chef, someone that, um, someone that didn't cost an arm and a leg and wasn't like, you know, one of these like celebrity chefs that, you know, charges a thousand bucks a day or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So we found the right person. We found the right um, person that was able to come every day. They should come at six in the morning, make breakfast at seven. Um, we calorie counted every single thing that went in. Um, I was incredibly disciplined um, to not cheat on any days, not one day. I remember the first thing that I had was I had some gravy on my my turkey on November. Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, which is like, two, that's, that's two, two months. months in. And that was the first meal that I went like, you know what? Like I've worked really hard here. My body is completely different. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a, a quick, you know, some gravy on my turkey. Um, Do you remember how long it took you to drop? Yeah. So, the, you know, initially, um, I wanted to, I, my goal was to kind of lose, I was 213 pounds. Okay. So I didn't know exactly what my fighting weight was, you know, for like, you know, perfect prime fighting weight. But um, you know, that was too heavy. For six, you. three, six, four. Yeah. I mean, that was way too heavy, you know, mm -hmm. and I wasn't like, you know, crazy muscular. So that's not, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, he's six, four, two fifteen. Like I didn't look like that. You know, that guy that you're watching TV and you're right. like, he's six, four, two fifteen. He's a, he's a truck, you know, like that wasn't me. I was like <laughs> six, four, two skinny fat, you know? <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and so, so I set out to kind of lose, it wasn't really a goal, but to, you know, like my mind, like let's lose 15 pounds and see what, you know, what you feel like after that. Six weeks after the knee surgery, I was able to jog at the physio uh, place that did my, um, that did my, uh, uh, surgery yeah. here in LA. And, um, they were, they put me on the treadmill. And this was the first time, like I was walking around obviously fine by then and um, doing tons of rehab for it every day, all day. Uh, my trainer, uh, Christian Lacasio, was with me every day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so um, I got on this treadmill and the, the PT person there uh, that was, you know, prescribed from the doctor was like, okay, we, you know, we're going to try to, you can jog at, you know, 5.0 on the, on the treadmill for 10 minutes i'm like great you know i'm like super excited to do this or whatever and i get on dude and i felt so light and i was like oh my yeah. god my my feet didn't hurt and my knees didn't my hips didn't hurt and like i would i was like it was like light as a feather i felt like do you remember your weight at that point? i don't remember my weight in after the six weeks because it yeah. didn't fly off like you know it didn't just from what i remember it didn't go like, you know, oh, I lost 10 pounds in the first two weeks. You know, yeah. it wasn't like that. It was like a gradual, slow thing, you know, where the first four weeks you're like, is this really working? Which is Man, healthy. Yeah, <laughs> from, yeah, which from is our the from correct my way. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> drop 11 pounds in 10 days exactly. and you're like, look at me. You know, yeah, it's yeah. basically, first of all, it's probably all water weight. Yeah. And second of all, that's not the weight you want to lose. Um, 
so but feeling it on the treadmill that's that's what you want and did, yeah. did that help uh give you motivation to lose more weight or was that even it an was issue it was or? just a, a a cementing the fact that we were doing the right, right things thing. um and we were focusing on the right stuff and it was working um it just felt different so i got on the court you know maybe eight weeks out you know around that thanksgiving you know early december and you start training on the court and you just could play i could go forever you know i could play you know i was getting my tennis legs under me but you know then i would go into the gym and run on the treadmill or do something like that i could just go forever i felt you just like. felt different just felt different yeah. um you know, but that didn't necessarily mean, you know, sort of fast forward to a few months in, um, you know, I'm back playing in Australia. That's three months out of the knee surgery. I've dropped, I've now dropped 32 pounds. I've gone from, um, that's I've a new body to, yeah, completely <laughs> different body. to where, to where, dude, to where people in Australia, um, didn't recognize me. Wow. They walk right by them. <laughs> and they go and they do a double take or something like that, which felt good. How did that feel? That's good. It obviously felt really good because it's really hard to do. It's very, it takes an incredible amount of discipline to not, you know, to eat all these things, you know, and, and uh, you know, spoiler alert, this healthy food that you're supposed to eat doesn't taste as good as pizza and pancakes. So, um, spoiler alert. So it's not, you know, so like that stuff wasn't tasting that great either. Yeah. You know, but then I got to a point where like, man, I feel so good and like this is working and my dropped, you know, 30 pounds and like I don't even crave that other stuff anymore. Those French fries or that pizza or those burgers. I crave this stuff because this feels awesome. I love I love the way I look, you know, um, I was thin, um, you know, and for the first time in my life, really. Um so fast forward to a few months in and you're, you know, but like I'm, it's not translating on the court right. as far as results. Um, it translated to like my fitness level, obviously, you know, and I had a, you know, I beat Andy Murray in, in Miami. He was number one in the world and he was the defending champion in the first round. You know, so I, I always had these tough draws and, and I felt like also guys had tough draws because they had to play me first round. So I was usually seated in those tournaments and I wasn't now because my ranking had dropped. Uh, and, and so, but, but then I couldn't follow it up. You know, I couldn't really ever follow those results up. And now all of a sudden, like I was beating Andy Murray and then I could win like three more matches and I wouldn't usually do that. Um, I'd have that result and then I'd kind of go away for a couple of weeks. Um, the, the first time that I really knew that something was up with, um, cause I, you know, I set out to do all this and I was like, I don't know where it would take me. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no idea. I just. I just, let's get fit and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, so I still didn't know, you know, so fast forward to the French Open, mm -hmm. which is in May, late May, and, and you know, obviously five months in, and I still hadn't, you know, it's not like I hadn't, won, I hadn't won a tournament. I hadn't even, you know, I guess gone to the finals of a tournament or even really the semis. Like, I, you know, maybe I had one semi. Did you second guess your discipline around the nutrition because of not having results or was that not in I was kind of second guessing like why did I do all that when or? is the yeah like when is it like I, I love how I feel I love how I look but when is this going to translate on the court right so so if French Open comes around and I, I win the first round in five sets which wasn't you know like again I could have done that before 
Um, then I played this guy, Ivan Lubacic, who was, you know, top 10 in the world at the time and a, and a good clay court player in the semis of the French one year. And, um, so he could play on clay and I, I clay was my least favorite, least, uh, least, um, uh, my worst surface. It wasn't my least favorite. I, I, I actually enjoyed playing on clay. I just wasn't any good on it because my game was tailored towards clay courts. Right. But with my new fitness, I could tailor my game towards clay because, you know, you, you know, in clay courts, it's a ball's a lot slower and the points are slower and longer. And you got to, um, you can't just finish points quickly because the ball goes, you know, stops, stops in the clay a lot easier. So, um, it slows down much more. So, um, so I, 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 I played this guy and, um, you know, again, like I could have had a match against him and, and come close to beating him. I, I've, Played those matches, you know, and I ended up, uh, I think we we went over um, in the, like to start the fifth set, we went over, you know, so we went too long to where um, we had darkness. So we had to come back the next day. And then we played like a, you know, maybe fourth and a half set and the fifth set the next day. So we'd been playing and the matches ended up being like five hours and 45 minutes total. Jeez. And... And when I knew that something was up and something was different was when I walked, I lost, I lost like 15, 13 in the fifth set, you know, long match. And, um, I walked off the court and I was like, I could play another five sets right now. And I was like, that's when you never felt like that before. Never even come close. I would have been dead. I would have been beat up. My body would have been hurting, you know, and something would have been aching and whatever. Everything would have been aching. And I came off and, and I was like, okay, like, I believe it now. Like, this is different. Like, okay, now let's, let's go and do something about it. Let's go and ha- the results are going to come. And sure enough, the next tournament was Queens. I lost in the final. The next tournament was Wimbledon. I won a few matches there, although I had a tough loss. Uh, the next tournament I won. The tournament after that I won. The tournament after that I made the final. The tournament after that I made the final. Next thing I know, I finished the year 14 in the world. So like Amazing. that was that one match where I really had to, um, I had to have, and ironically it was a loss. So I was going to say you took the the loss, yeah. but, it, but you, but your mind, you meant, you saw it as such a positive because of how yeah. you felt. I was so disappointed that I had lost, but, but I came off the court, um, you know, every, every loss then was disappointing because. I had worked so hard to get, you know, to get back. Right. Like, so it was like, you know, every time you, your mind, you couldn't help it. Your mind kind of go, well, what's, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Am I still staying disciplined? Because why is it worth it? And that was that first time where I was like, okay, this is worth it. Something's up, something's up here. And I had a, um, yeah. So I, you know, my results sort of kicked in from there and, and, and it changed my life. It changed my life. Um, on the court, if I didn't have that success, um, uh, on then the court, then you're seated next year too, right? It changes. Well, like yeah, of course. Weight. But like, if I didn't, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just speaking, you know, afterlife, right? right. Like we're going to play, we're not going to play forever and opportunities that come about, you know, like if I don't change my life and lifestyle in 2009, I'm not sitting here as the Davis cup captain. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm not sitting here um, you know, doing commentary for ESPN, having the opportunity to play exhibition, still having a name, you know, having a name still carry a little bit 
to where people still sort of want to watch you play. Maybe a few people still want to watch you play um, from time to time. So like I, you, it wouldn't doesn't work like that for someone who was ranked 40 in the world his whole career or even 20 in the world his whole career. But to be able to get up there into one of the best in the world for a few years changed my life um, financially and um, and otherwise. Do you feel like everyone just kind of has to go through some growth to where you have this moment where you had this urgency and this you really like pushed yourself where things kind of came together? But as a younger player, can you can you understand that you need to do these things and and do it? I've, I'm a big believer in everyone matures at a different pace, a different rate. Um, I played 12 and unders with guys who were shaving at 11 years old. I was never going to beat those guys because I, I matured at 20, you know, or, or 19. I started shaving at, you know, like. 19 this guy was shaving at 11 i'll never forget there's like two guys that were like you know that were like six four with a beard at 11 years old of course those guys are going to be better than me of course at that age you know i see it all the time i see my son is almost six you know and he plays in like these little these little you know basketball baseball leagues or whatever a little coach pitch and you know just little stuff and i just see some of these kids are dominating they're just bigger than every other kid there you know their parents are all excited you know six years old like they're dominating this thing it just (laughs) doesn't matter you know and it's like it's just funny to see and i live you know and i had the benefit of living through that seeing it and understanding and looking back on some of those guys andy roddick and i will Every once in a while, text each other just like some random name of a guy that was like, you know, twice our size and 12s and 14 year, 14 and unders and stuff. And like, what's that guy doing right now, you think? You know, kind of. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, everyone matures at a different rate, different pace. Um, I'm a big believer as well. And you have to you have to make. Um, you have to make mistakes and, and the, the people around you have to let you make mistakes to learn. I believe that in most aspects in life, financially, um, professionally, um, you just, you're never going to learn if you don't, um, if you don't truly, um, understand, uh, you know, uh, uh, understand your faults and understand how to fix them, um, or what to do and what not to do. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in sort of letting people make their own mistakes to learn from them. Um, and, and however long that takes, it takes. Um, some guys I watch now because, I, like I said, I'm a Davis Cup captain. So I, I, we've got some youngsters on our team now that, that are incredibly professional in something, in some ways, and just like a child in other things, um, in other aspects. Time, you know, being on time and things like that. You know, they're like children. Mm-hmm. But – but when it comes to being on the court and, you know, some of these kids are 20 years old and they're just so mentally tough, they just never give in. And, and that's way beyond their years. You know, it's sort of normal for them. I mean, most of these kids should be sophomores in college, right. you know, drinking beer and making mistakes and hanging out with friends and whatever and staying up late. You know, like that, that's, that's not their life anymore. Um, they, they made the sacrifice to not, you know, to not be able and have to do that type of stuff. It's cool, but it's a sacrifice. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I mean, everyone does that at a different pace. So there's nothing that I could have changed because I went at the pace I was supposed to go at. Um, it just took me a little bit longer. Um, do I 
wish. I mean, everyone has regrets. If no, if some people say they don't have regrets, they're lying. I mean, everyone's got regrets. You know, the way they would have done things differently. Um, uh, I would have. Um, I would have differently. I would have hired, um, and you see guys doing it now. Maybe there wasn't an emphasis in 2003 on fitness as much as there is now. That's a long time ago, you know, over 15 years ago, um, uh, was the, you know, sort of my first and best year when I finished inside the top 20 and I was just under 21 years old. And, and so, um, that's really young, you know, to, yeah, to like, it's really young to sort of have the world, you know, the tennis world, at least, or sports world, sort of watch you grow up and in, in kind of a spotlight being from a big country, a big tennis country and sort of coming right after. And Andre was still playing then, but like uh, Sampras had just retired and Courier had retired and Chang and Todd Martin, these guys, you know, Malvi Washington made the final of Wimbledon. They just had an incredible generation. So then that, the next generation was our generation. It was James Blake, it was Andy Roddick, myself, Taylor Dent, Robbie Ginepri. And uh, no, there were, no country was ever going to have a generation like we had bef come before, right before we came through. You know, and then Andy goes and wins 2003 U.S. Open and the, you know, tennis fans and sports fans and American tennis fans think we're just, here we go again. We're just going to, you know, these guys are going to fly through and start winning everything. It just didn't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And we saw it didn't work like that with Andy because there was some guy named Federer who just kept beating him, you know? And like if Federer wasn't around, Roddick would have 10 slams. I'm a hundred percent sure of that, but he was around. So, you know, we unfortunately came in a generation, um, where we're going to have the three greatest tennis players of all time in this exact same generation playing at the exact same time. I mean, how many slams would Roddick have if those guys weren't going? How many slams would Andy Murray have if those guys were going on? How many slams would I have? No, I'm kidding. Uh, how many uh, I would have? Well, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, but um, you're, you're, you do never know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's just um, – it's ironic that that that's the the blessing and the curse. It's really exciting and fun to play in that generation, but also it took a lot of money away from us. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this young kid, Guy, that I've had a chance to work with. Great family, great kid. He's a tennis player, he's 16. Mm -hmm. uh, but I told him I was going to be talking to you. It's like, is there any question you want to ask? And And I think he has some trouble. He's been telling me like, with just nerves like during a match mm -hmm. like but he said any advice for juniors on improving in training and dealing with nerves during the match but i think the biggest thing is nerves like yeah nerves i mean obviously training you know i mean he's 16 so he's just developing like his body's just developing his bodies like and like you, know, you said that everyone de yeah like, uh, like he's develops. Gonna... i think that's nice for people to know that hey it's okay like if some kid is much bigger well, and look stronger. Well, look at John Isner. Look at John Isner, for instance. Like, it, it's not even your body necessarily as much as, like, your game, period. Like, John Isner went, you know, I mean, he went four years of college and then a couple years in the pros to where he really cemented himself as one of the best players in the world now for the last 10 years. Right. So it took him a long time. He's 34 years old now. 
So um, it's, it's okay. still going. For, so it's going to, it may like, take some time, yeah. you know, like you got, like when you're six and your parents are going crazy because their kid just, you know, hit a triple on a coach pitch, like just relax, <laughs> man. Like just, you know, just make sure your kid is enjoying what they're doing and having fun more than anything else. Um, as far as the nerves go, um, I, you know, everyone's different. Um, it's totally normal to have, uh, nerves throughout the match because that means you care. If you don't have any nerves, you don't care, and and you you want those nerves. I, I was really lucky in that, um, and again, everyone's different um, in this, but I, I didn't um, have crazy nerves during a match. I was really bad before a match, really bad. Like I w- I would request to play the first match of the day, sometimes at eleven or even ten in the morning. Is that to, to control the time? As best you can, Not or just only to get control it over. the times. Was obviously it's nice to know exactly when you play. I mean, in tennis, you know, we could play like we said, third up after eleven o'clock. Like that could be any. That could be five. It could be two. <laughs> you could you have no idea when that is. So yes, it's nice to know exactly when you play. But um, beside that, like the le- the less time I had to think about what I was about to do, like the match, and just dwell on it. Like a lot of guys love playing like at night. Like this, there's a new kid that's playing that was our number one player in, in Davis Cup, Taylor Fritz. He loves playing like late. He wants to play late all the time. Like, dude, it would stress me out so bad if I had to play at five o'clock every day. He probably wants oh, to sleep in. God, he wants, yeah, he wants to sleep in. He's relaxing. He's playing video <laughs> games, you know, and then maybe he gets nervous during the match. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't at all. Maybe he's lucky. Right. Um, but but I, I was I had some crazy nerves. So so just he's gotta understand this kid that's 16 that Roger Federer gets nervous. I don't know when he gets nervous, but I guarantee he gets nervous. You know, Novak Djokovic, who may go down as the greatest player ever. Um, he gets nervous. Maybe he gets nervous before. Maybe it's nervous. I'll give you a perfect example. I played the fourth round of Wimbledon 2011. I played Tomas Burdich, who was a great Czech player. just retired this year. Um, he was, uh, I think he was ranked like six in the world and he was coming off a, and I was like eight in the world. So he was coming off a, um, he was coming off a final of Wimbledon the year before. So great player at Wimbledon, great player on grass. And I had never beaten him. Yeah. And I, and this is the, also the first time that I made the uh, second week of Wimbledon, which is a cool experience because um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't know, uh, that, uh, the middle Sunday of Wimbledon is off. It's an off day for everyone. So the fans can't get in and it's a really cool experience to be a part of where you go to the courts and there's nobody there and you've made the second week and the manic Monday is coming where it's the greatest day of tennis every year where it, it's, it's, there's, uh, all round of 16 matches on the men's and the women's side play on that Monday, that second Monday at Wimbledon. So that Sunday is an awesome day to just relax and like be, it's just a really cool, it's hard to really describe unless you've done it where you're, it's a really cool experience to be a part of, right? So that was the first time I made the second week. Uh, We are, you know, second or third up, you know, so I'm like, you know, just barely put some food down at breakfast and I'm like, you know, just sort of forcing food down me and I'm just getting ready. We're about 45 minutes out of the match and I go in to tape my ankles. So I tape my ankles every time before every match. And um, uh, I'm, and I go into the training room and there, and, and I, I mean, I'm so nervous, dude. Like I'm, I just, I can't wait to start it. Cause I want these nerves to end. And I want to <laughs> just start the match. And I look over and there's Tomas Burdich on one of the training tables, dead asleep. 
<laughs> Dead How does that make you feel? <laughs> and I'm just like, how is this guy sleeping? I mean, I can't even put rice down. I'm so nervous. And this guy's dead asleep. 45 minutes before the match. So, you know, everybody handles it differently. Obviously, yeah. he was comfortable with, you know, what he was doing. And he had made the final year. You know, I don't know. Like, he might have been nervous and didn't sleep who knows, all night. Well, yeah, he maybe, maybe like, he just didn't sleep, yeah, the night before because he doesn't sleep well night four matches. just saw the 30 minutes asleep, of sleep yeah. he got. Like. But all I saw was this guy getting ready to play a big match. And he was so not stressed out that he was just taking a, a little nap and and here i am you know like i can barely i can barely put food down so um just understand that that every um professional athlete in any sport gets nervous they just get nervous at different times if he gets nervous during a match it's totally normal and um you know there's there's a lot of ways to to combat um to combat nerves especially during a match do you uh, could you give an example or two? Sure. That? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, um, staying active, meaning like not um, stable, you know, in between points, moving around, thinking about, you know, sort of just keeping your body moving, um, moving your feet, bouncing around before um, a return, uh, bouncing around right before a serve, uh, thinking about the actual task, not who you're playing, but how to play the player play the player not the name um sometimes you can get nervous when you're playing you get into a match when you're playing and you know you're playing someone like you know for me like i knew knew i was playing someone like federer and i was serving to close out a set it's it's totally human for you to your mind to sort of go okay well we're gonna about to be a set all or i'm about to be a set up or i could win this match you know and you just you want to keep your mind present at all times um um so if you can stay and understand um, um, that there are other, you know, there are other ways like like uh, sometimes guys will get nervous because they'll they'll know an opportunity is is there if they win, um, you know, maybe look at not not looking at the draw, um, just 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 play who you're playing that day and not worrying about after mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, there's a lot of a lot of ways to handle it. If you miss a shot, maybe you'll make the next one or do you ever have that? Like if you, if you, yeah, I mean, in tennis, it's so different um, with that. Like I played a lot of competitive golf as well. And mm -hmm. mentally they're two incredibly difficult sports, um, but in very different ways in tennis, we don't have the time to go, Oh, okay. Well, you'll just, you'll just get that, you know, let's just take that next one and we'll get the next one. And, you know, by the time you're thinking about that, the points already started, the next points already started in tennis. There's a ton of losing even. So if you win a match, let's say you win a match, six, four, six, four. Um, if you look at the stats, you probably won 52 to even 51% of the points. If you win a match like six, four, six, four, fairly routine, right? Um, you probably won 52% of the points. It means you lost 48% of the time. That's a lot of losing, right? So you got to figure <laughs> out how... The margins are so close. Yeah, and you got to figure out how to lose to be comfortable with losing points the correct way, um, correct style, the style you want to play, that you and your coaches have set out to play, and be comfortable with it. Is it sometimes if you're playing an opponent that is maybe ranked way lower, it could be hard because you're expected to win, or if it's a player 
that if you're more of an underdog, like for that match, feel like you beat him in like an hour, like, and he was- Less than an hour. Like yeah. Less than an hour. What were you thinking during that match? That match specifically is one of the very few matches. Tennis players always remember results. We all, we remember everything. Like points in that's specific matches thing. and stuff like that, you know? And, and that specific match, the only thing I remember about like, you know, direct points and things like that is I can put, you know, you can sort of, sometimes you can put yourself in the match and sort of remember points of how they went down. I put myself in that match. The only time I can remember is when uh, it was 1540 at 6351 Federer serving. And I looked at the clock and it said 52 minutes and I had two match points. And I go, and I remember, and I sort of come to, and I'm like, Holy shit, I'm gonna beat this guy in less than an hour. <laughs> Which no one's doing. And no one did that then. He was number one in the world and he yeah. won everything. Like he's winning everything then. Um and uh and I, you know, and then and then ironically, all of a sudden I'm at the other side of the court and it's five two. I'm serving like fifteen thirty. You know, so like <laughs> you you can't get ahead of yourself at all. Um those are really the only things. Otherwise Like otherwise, you said, the margins, right? Like the 48, 52 yeah. or whatever, like it's so close, it can switch at any time. Yes, but. it's it's a roller coaster, it's much tougher watching. Like you guys in the player's box, <laughs> it's much harder watching than it is. Um, or in the moment we've trained ourselves that we understand that we're gonna lose a lot of points, you're gonna lose a lot um, within a match that even you win. Um, so you're just, you know, you're just comfortable with the way that you play and the style that you play and, and um, let the chips fall. When I met you in a, because I've been so lucky to have a chance to work with great athletes throughout my career. But like- I was the best athlete you ever worked with. Best athlete in, <laughs> but your IQ, like- but Didn't you work with Adrian Peterson? Isn't that the- <laughs> But you're- Go out on a limb and say he was a better athlete. He's a good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> um, Similar uh, body types though. <laughs> but I was just gonna say like your tennis IQ or your intelligence, for sports period, but tennis is like, I don't know how to describe it well, but yeah. it's at a really high level no, well, and you're so clear yeah. about your game. I feel like every other person's game, you remember every point. Like I didn't find that to be normal across the board with people I talked to. Like, yeah. at um, all. That was certainly a weapon of mine was, was um, you know, I hit shots for a reason. Some guys just hit shots just to hit shots, you know, just to sort of, you know, they play points sort of unconsciously um, and just sort of hit shots. Oh, I see a forehand. I'm just going to rip this forehand hard somewhere. Um, I, I didn't have that. So I didn't have that ability. Like I wasn't this like jaw dropping athlete um, uh, sprinting from here to there as fast, faster than anyone kind of thing. That wasn't me. That wasn't, that's not the athlete I am. Like if somebody says, um, who's the best athlete in the world? Like, is it, is, does that mean like who's the best like run, jump, sprint guy? You know, who's the guy that can run the hundred the fastest, jump the highest and whatever? Or is it the guy that can like hand-eye coordination, catch, a, catch throw, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes I was born, you know, or made to, to live in like a, you know, one of those like, like a, like playing darts, ping pong, 
uh, pool, um, foosball, you know, hand-eye stuff, tennis, golf, like country club type stuff almost, right? Like where you're like, you know, if you give me a baseball bat, like I'm going to hit everything. I'm going to touch everything. I'm not going to hit it like over the fence necessarily because I don't have that kind of strength. But my hand-eye coordination. No way. (laughs) We played catch. Justin and I played catch um, last year. Man, his his ball, he throws the ball so hard. I was having trouble. Like, I thought I was going to catch him. He, he, after, he was like, dude, I thought I was going to hit you in the face. Like, you had to get out of the way of his ball. <laughs> his ball is a different, the way he throws the ball is, is jaw-dropping, really, to be honest. But that was a cool experience. But, like, but you know what I mean? Like, so, so what is a good athlete? Like, is a guy who's really good at, like, baseball, golf, and tennis – the best athlete or is the best athlete like that guy who can like, you know, do, you know, blow up the combine, you know, in NFL football, right? Like that's like the fastest guy and can jump the highest and bench press the most. Like, is that guy the best athlete? Like, I don't know. Like what's your interpretation of an athlete? So I was the latter part of that. Like I was never going to blow up the combine or anything like that, like a tennis combine. But what I could do is I couldn't, I was never going to miss my backhand. I was going to get three points on my serve and then I was going to hit every shot for a reason. And it was going to be because I knew most likely what was going to come back. You know, was really good at that was Andy Murray. Like he didn't, you know, jaw droppingly, um, his game didn't jump off the page at you with, with the way he either served you off the court or had a huge forehand or an unbelievable backhand, even though he did have an unbelievable backhand. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't overpowering. He was so smart with his shot selection. He knew what you could, you know, he knew the percentages of what you were going to come back with um, when he, you know, with your reply to his reply. And um, he knew what he could do and what he couldn't do. And that's really important. I think that's really important to understand and maximize to be able to maximize yourself in any sport is understanding exactly like what you can and can't do and staying within that threshold um i feel like that's really important for you was there any moments for like what you can't do or for a match like uh, yeah like i could never trade like i was never going to trade forehands with nadal you know even though he was a lefty um so you do get out of that as fast as possible if you're in that point I would develop a shot where, yes, I would get out of um, certain patterns. Like, like if I played Roddick, for instance, like I would never, um, I would never get into a forehand to forehand rally with him. He was going to beat me every time. Mm-hmm. But backhand to backhand, I was going to beat him. And I wanted those. I wanted those. Um, I wanted those scenarios way more often. So I would develop a shot, like say a, a looping forehand up the line. He wanted to get into, you know, a better forehand wanted to get into a forehand to forehand rally with me. And I wanted to get to the backhand somehow. So I would develop this sort of up the line, kind of pushy, um, very safe shot to get it to their backhand to where they had to come to my backhand. Um Otherwise, I was going to come forward. So, like, there were, you know, scenarios to where you there, – there's certain scenarios to where you feel comfortable on the court and you want to get guys into. But, yeah, I mean, like, guy, guys play different. Like, I played different – I played Federer differently than I played Roddick or I played Nadal or I played even Murray. Like, I never wanted Federer to have the upper hand. Um, 
the reason why he has been so incredibly successful is because he plays on, he plays every match on his terms. Mm-hmm. So whenever I played him, I wanted to play it as much as I could on my terms. It's difficult to do because you know he takes the ball so early and takes time away from you, and he's and he's incredible at it. Um, what does that mean for he plays it on his terms? Well, that? meaning he wants to play his style of tennis, which like is you said you talked to James Blake mm-hmm. on this very podcast and. Um, like James was very, very good at playing his style. Like he, James was going to go out and play um, very aggressive, a very aggressive style, win or lose. No plan B. Plan A, plan A, and if plan A doesn't work, go to plan A A. You know, and if that doesn't work, A A A, and if that doesn't work, you're done. Kind of thing. Like J- James had one style to play, and he was incredible at that one style. Um, Does Fed have one style? Fed has or? one specific style, but he's just incredible at that one style. Now he's an awesome athlete, um, mm-hmm. and he he does defend fairly well. But he's so offensive um, that he plays most points on his terms. If you get someone like him um, into de- defensive positions, um, they're not as good. And so, and he'd be the first to admit that, but, but also what's difficult with him is if there's a point that he feels is uncomfortable for him in that, in that aspect, meaning like if he's going to play a bunch of defense, he gets out of that point quickly. You know, he's going to go for a shot that you would, you'd be like, why do you go for that shot? Cause he doesn't want to play those style of points. Now, like Novak Djokovic is going to play any style you want to play. Because that guy's like Gumby. He he moves as good. You know, he's a, an incredible athlete. Um, uh, uh, his style of play is just to defend and counter everything that you have, and at a, at such a level that he shrinks the court. He makes you feel like the court is so small that you have almost no margin for error. Um, and you'll play. You'll try and play way above your your your, I call it your pay grade, what you what you can um, actually do. And that's how he beats guys. Guys just try and go above what they can do and they can't, you can't rally with him forever. Um, he clicks all the boxes as far as what he can control, right? Mm-hmm. Like he controls fitness, he controls mental, he controls effort. And that guy is unbelievably fit and mm-hmm. tries really hard and is, and is super confident and, and, you know, may go down as, as better than Federer, certainly has a better record. Yeah, certainly has a better record than him. You know, and th- those guys. You know, and those, Rafa too is pretty. Yeah, good. Rafa. Rafa obviously is great, and and you know he's got maybe one of the biggest weapons ever in his forehand. Um, but his mental toughness, his fitness. Um, he was just you were up forty love in a game, and you were serving, and you still didn't feel comfortable. <laughs> he may come back in that game. Because he just never gave up, never gave you an inch. Every point was the exact same, whether it was 40 love down or 40 love up um, or match point in a grand slam. Like he was going to play that style. Um, so it was always, you know, it always felt good to beat a guy like that. I bet. Yeah. What about, so like 2010, you finished 14, 2011, seven, right? 2011, I get to seven, I finish eight, I make the world tour final for the first and only time um, of my career. But the world tour final is the top eight players in the world get to play in a, a really cool event at the end of the year. Um, what an honor. So, Earned. Yeah, honor. yeah. Guess, sort of really. the, you, can't, you can't just get into that tournament. Yeah, you got to have a great year 
you gotta you gotta win a lot of matches you gotta be really consistent and that was uh, 2011 for me um i got to uh seven in the world there in the summer and 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 won the u.s open series which is the um, oh yeah all the tournaments huge. throughout the summer um they have ranking points based on it and they'll give you a bonus um prize money um so it was yeah that was cool serena williams won it on the women's side and i won it on the men's side so it was <laughs> cool yeah man it was like just a really cool and this is kind of the whole the fruits of you know we're getting into 2011 2012 where it's kind of the fruits of my work at work you know my discipline and lifestyle change and um, now I'm getting into the really fun stuff, right? Like the stuff that I'm I'm starting to beat guys that I ne- had never beaten before, uh, like a, like a Nadal. Um, starting to beat guys consistently that are you know in the top 20 and never losing to guys that are outside the top 30. Um, I think I lost to maybe one guy outside how, the top like how did you do that? 30 in the world? Yeah, was it my mental it was like because you just decided I'm not losing? Well, or? yeah, but it was also because of my fitness. I was able to change my style of play if i wasn't um if i wasn't playing well like i knew my high end was really good could beat anyone but if i didn't play well like we all know like you don't go out and just automatically play well every day in any sport so what does your b game look like or what does your c game look like and my b and c game were just to push like and that means for people who don't understand tennis like that means just not miss period Right. So I just would not miss. And I would sit out and play guys like that. Um, and I'd have a mindset where I'd go, okay, here's a guy who's ranked 50 or 60 in the world who, um, who you know, and I'm in a, in this mode of, you know, in the, in the middle of the summer maybe. I remember I played a match against this guy, James Ward. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty good British player. Um, not a ton of weapons, but he was a solid player. He beat, beat some good players. Mm-hmm. Um, I played him in Atlanta in the summer. Obviously, incredibly hot. hot. Um, we played. <laughs> Which in the middle you loved of the, the day. heat. I loved it. We played in the middle of the day, and because uh, I requested to play in the middle of the days, so I always wanted to play right there in the middle because I thought I was fitter than everyone else. Wanted to play in the heat of the day. I knew. I figured I could outlast everyone. Um, I trained in Florida, and so I, you know, training in Tampa in the summer. There's nothing hotter. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I remember, like, I'd set out against a guy like that and just go. I don't care if I'm going to play my 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 high level or my or or not play well i'm just gonna i'm gonna play this guy the first like six games of the match and and not miss i'm gonna try literally to not miss i'm gonna make every return if he wants to win a game he's gonna hit a winner um type type thing so i'd like i'd almost like play games with myself like against guys like that where i would go i'm gonna beat this guy this way and then the next match would maybe different um, but I got, yeah, like I got to a point where like I could play different styles and just sort of go, okay, well today I'm going to play this style. And then tomorrow against this guy, I may have to play a, a more aggressive style. Um, but against a, a European player in the dead of the summer, in one of the first weeks of the summer where they're just coming over here, you got no chance, dude. Yeah. No you chance. You think advantage you period. And then do you think like, well, I'm not going to miss and the chance of you continuing to play at a high level it's yeah. not going to happen. I felt like I was so confident with my fitness um, and my ability to play in the heat that like I felt like I wanted guys to like t- I wanted to like TKO guys like yeah. I wanted to I wanted them to quit. It was so hot, you know, or they were complain. It would complain about the heat. I wanted to look over in like the fourth game and they were already putting the ice towel on. In I 2010, that. 2011, was this a shift like having that? Yeah. Versus 
before especially that. 2011 okay 20. um, 2010 i was still sort of learning like what my um my new diet my new body really w- was going to do for me but your game as far as the strategy did that change too like as far as like where you said uh you might go yeah. the first six games and just not miss did you do that before or is that new kind of no, it was very new. new yeah, right? no, That's brand new. That was like I couldn't. I didn't have the ability to do that. I didn't have the luxury to do that. I had to play these guys tough. Otherwise, I knew that I could lose to anyone because of that. If I didn't play well, I was going to lose to a lot of guys. Right. If I played well, I knew I was going to be in it with a lot of guys. But like, if I didn't play well, which is a lot, you know, um, I was going to struggle fitness-wise, especially in that type of weather. And I was the one that guys were going to wear down. All of a sudden, I'm playing guys in Australia, you know, where it's, we know how hot it can get down there, where I'm reading about the fact that, like, I'm, I'm remembering a guy like Tommy Robredo. You remember him, right? Yep. Like, he was so fit, and 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 you could run forever, you felt like. I'm going up against someone like him in a, in a Grand Slam, playing three out of five sets, where I'm like, I'm going to wear this, this mf or down. <laughs> I'm just going to wear him down. Because I thought, you know, and that guy was fit as hell. You know, and um, that guy won so many matches because of his fitness. And so I just, I just X, I X'd that part out of my, of tennis, of the tennis. I just was like this part check mark for me because I can control that. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, again, like one of the only things that you can actually control is your, is for an athlete is your fitness level. You can control it. You're the one that you're the only one that can control it. 2011, you finished eight. Mm-hmm. And then 2012. Yeah, so 2012 is a year that. Um, but also, sorry, uh, I feel like not everyone will know. But can you explain the point system too? Because I feel like yeah, so tennis the, is difficult tennis to is keep a, your ranking. Is on a 12 month ranking system. So every 12 months, you're you know whatever you did 12 months prior is going to come off your ranking. Um, so let's say you won the U.S. Open in in September of 2010, in September of 2011, those 2000 points are coming off regardless of what you do. Um, so there were, so there you were certain, yeah, I mean, but there were Attention. certain ways that you dealt with that. Um, um, you know, a lot of it's, it's just human to be, to just stare at your ranking and your ranking points. Cause I mean, that's really the only thing we have to go on. Like our, you know, like, our name ne- number next to your name like that's really the only thing that we can say hey oh you're ranked 30 i'm ranked 20 i'm better than you like because <laughs> i'm ranked 20 and you're ranked 30 it says it right here you know and like so that was what we had to go on um so yeah so like the ranking was huge the rankings were always it translates to real dollars too right like yeah like you know whether you finish the year you get bonuses so i finished the year in 2011 eight in the world and i hadn't finished inside the top you know 15 i guess other than maybe a year or two mm-hmm. um and i didn't even know this but you get like bonus money for finishing you know like number one you get a crazy bon- you know two million dollar bonus or something all the way to like number 12 in the world i had no idea because i never finished that high i didn't wow. know no one like i didn't know that so i finished eight and i get this like check for like 350 grand in the <laughs> mail you know and i'm like damn what's this from you know <laughs> like just nice i didn't even know that you yeah. know so like like i said before like it changed my life in a lot of ways but it changed my life financially too and um and 2012 is is 
is a um, sort of an example of um, instead of playing in the States, I went and played a lot of tournaments that gave me an appearance fee, but a big appearance fee. Like most of the tournaments would give me an appearance fee, but but now that I was the number one ranked American in the world and then top eight in the world or, you know, top 10, that, um, you know, these really cool tournaments will pay you tons of money to come and just play them, just play the tournament, not including the prize money, which I only, you know, was relying on from there. Right. Um, Now I had these like, you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar checks that you're, that are just, please come play our tournament, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, Does that make scheduling hard? It made scheduling, uh, you know, hard, hard in a way that, um, you know, is this, is this worth, even though this is 50,000 bucks more, is it worth going over here to Marseille in France and then Dubai as opposed to playing in Memphis and San Jose, you know, where I could stay closer to home and feel more comfortable or is, you know, should I go and chase the money? So 2012 comes around and I've got all these, you know, these different appearance fees, they just look different. And so I'm like, well, these are the fruits of my labor. I'm going to go get all this. Yeah. So I set out and I just started this crazy schedule where I started the year in Perth, Australia, which is, if anyone knows, you fly from LA to Sydney. And then that's like getting to Miami and having to fly from Miami to LA to get all the way to Perth on the other side of Australia. You can almost go the other way if you wanted, like right. through Asia, you know, or, or I mean, through New York and then th- over to Perth, you know, yeah. whatever. But um, long, long trip. ways away. <laughs> and uh, and you you lose a day, right? Or like yeah, a game. Is, you cross the international date lines. So you leave on the you know, let's say the first, and you get there the third. You know, <laughs> um, so I started the year in Perth. Came, you know, spent a month down in Australia. Came straight back. Went to. Went to um, Freiburg, Switzerland to play Davis Cup against Federer, Wawrinka in Switzerland. And then came back. Then went back to Marseille and Dubai. Came back to Indian Wells, Miami. And then once I got to Miami, it was like, wow, um, this is a lot of travel. I haven't had the year of success that I had wanted. I start, maybe I started too fast, kind of sort of second-guessing things. Um, second-guessing um um, why, you know, was I making the right choices? Um, playing, because you hadn't had the results. Tournaments or, yeah, just because I hadn't had the the um, the results that I had wanted, even though I hadn't necessarily played that bad. I had more stress on me because I was the number one American at the time. So, like, I didn't have that pressure. And credit to Andy Roddick for basically his entire career of having to, bur- you know, to burden that stress of, of you know, carrying the flag of – being number one American for as long as he did. Um, and then I, you know, sort of finally got to experience that. It was like, it wasn't easy. Um, mm-hmm. When you lose early in a slam, um, you know, you, all of a sudden you'd make the fourth round of a major and like, it wasn't good enough. Um, wasn't good enough for you. And then it wasn't good enough. You were hard on yourself. And then the press was hard on you because it wasn't good enough for them either. All of a sudden, you know, if you didn't make the quarters or semis of a major that like, you know, oh, well, no American has done this, that since Roddick in 2003 and what, you know, and like, so it was difficult and it was hard to, um, st- stress wise, um, it was difficult to, um, to figure out. So I got to Miami and I had a pretty good tournament actually in Miami. I mean, the quarterfinals there and lost to, um, 
Argentinian guy and but quarterfinals of a, a Masters event, especially in Miami, which is a you know a huge event, is a good result and would have been a great result years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been super happy with it, but I was you know favored to win that match and should have made the semis and whatever. And like I remember, I went um, I went out a little bit and that night, came back and was like woke up at like three o'clock in the morning and um, I had uh, my heart rate was like crazy high. Like crazy high. Couldn't stop it. Thought that like my heart was just going to jump out of my chest. And I was like, uh-huh. I was like, you know, I was in a hotel room by myself in Miami and 3.30 in the morning. And and um, what was weird too is that I knew um, I had trained. I always trained with a heart rate monitor. We were really disciplined with the way we trained as well. And like, so I would train um, on, on the court with a heart rate monitor. And what I would do is I would try to get my heart rate as high as it would possibly go doing like two on ones or something, which means like two guys are at the net, you're at the baseline and they're just volleying, volleying side to side. You're just running for minutes on end. So we do that like kind of 30 seconds on 20 seconds off, 30 seconds on 20 seconds off just to get my heart rate as high as it could possibly go. So I'd have the watch on and we'd watch and see how high I could get. And I remember never getting higher than 192 could not get my heart rate higher than 192 and i and i, I couldn't work harder yeah like all physically out. like all out stop you know 20 second break i could get it down so i would train like that i could get it down to like 120 maybe sometimes even like 117 118 that's to start great. the point again <laughs> yeah because yeah, i had all these breathing techniques and stuff that i would do i really breathe out in through my nose out through my mouth you know whatever so um so i'm, I'm having this happen in the middle of the night and I can't, nothing is, you know, my breathing techniques and stuff aren't, um, aren't, uh, uh working calming. and not calming me down. And, uh, I call Christian was, was with me at the time, my physio. And, and I said, dude, I, I can't stop my heart. You know, I called him four times. He didn't answer. It's the middle of the night. Yeah. And, and um, finally answered. And I was like, dude, I, my heart, I think it's about jumping. I take a guy to go to the hospital or something. Like we got to call the ambulance. I'm dying. Like, I feel like I'm dying. Literally feel like I'm dying. Like I can't stop my heart. This is like 30 minutes. It's gone on for like 30 minutes. And, I'm like, and you're alone. So we get in. Yeah. And I'm alone. We get into the, the, the ambulance comes and get like kind of wheeled through the, you know, the, lobby of the hotel is super embarrassing you know <laughs> there's nobody down there. there's literally like 4 a.m but 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 still you know the workers there like they knew who i was and they knew that i was staying there and like so they knew what was going kind of going on and so we go get in an ambulance and they put me on ekg and my heart rate's at like 225 <laughs> and i'm like oh my god you know and you know, because I couldn't get, I just remember training, getting my heart, I couldn't get my heart rate past 192. Yeah. And I was at 220, 230, you know, whatever. And, 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 um, didn't know what was going on. So we went to the hospital and from, you know, so. And you're not running, running no, side to side. No, just sleeping basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, you know, so, uh, that can get to a, a sort of a, a long story, but, but in itself, I, I, um, took some time off and, and figured out that I had a, a thing called a tachycardia, which is a, an electrical issue in your heart. And um, there's a bunch of uh, electricity around your heart and it's like the quarterback to your heart. So when you're, when, uh, when it fires, it tells your heart to beat. So like fire, fire, and these electrodes can sort of malfunction. 
when they malfunction, they can just like sort of fire uncontrollably and they'll just fire, 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 fire. So your heart only knows beep, 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 beep. So they're like fire, 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 blah, 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 blah. And, and so you can't stop it mm-hmm. until it wants to stop itself. Um, and I, you know, you can't die from it, but I didn't know that, at, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in the moment. And I'd had, I'd had it happen then a couple times after that. Um, so I skipped the French Open and went in for a thing called an ablation. And, um, you know, which is about, which is after the fact learned that lots of people have this and it's fairly common. And, um, you know, they, it is a, uh, procedure where they mess with your heart, but, um, it's not like open heart surgery or anything like that, but it was still uncomfortable. It wasn't like just having a knee surgery and they'll put you out They go through your groin and, and the main vein and our main artery and, and they go up and they basically, uh, reproduce the, the bad electricity and they'll they'll kill it they'll freeze those there's thousands of them so they'll freeze those or or singe them off with heat and Mm -hmm. you move on with your life um and i did that and it was successful it's like an 80 percent success rate i've met a few people that have actually done it like two and three times um but been successful mine was successful the first time um they're like i think we got it great um i'm gonna go off and play wimbledon did you feel an immediate uh release uh, yeah Yes and no. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's nice. Okay, like, let's go back to playing. I mean, I was still number one American. I was still, you know, 10 or maybe 10 or 11, something like that in the world. Um, You know, not being able to play the French Open wasn't the end of the world. You know, Wimbledon would have been tougher, you know, because that's a better surface for me. Clay was never a a great surface for me. So, um, uh, so you know, I just sort of went on with my summer. And mm-hmm. uh, went and played Wimbledon in the fourth round there. I made the quarters of a couple um, Masters events throughout the summer. Sort of pick and choose my schedule a little bit better. Um, and I started sort of getting these uh, these sort of thoughts of anxious thoughts of, um, you know, is this traumatic experience that I had in Miami or in Houston, um, is this going to come back? Is it ever, you know, is, am I going to have that again? Am I going to have those thoughts again? I know they fixed me, but, you know, I know it's, you know, I check out fine in the doctor, but like what's going on? I never knew, uh, no one close to me uh, had any, um, uh, any mental health issues. Like I, I didn't know anything about the mental health world at all. Mm-hmm. Never had even talked about it. No one that I knew, at least that I knew of, um, had, had talked about it with me. I knew nothing about it. Yeah. So um, I started sort of developing throughout uh, that summer, um, you know, really some anxious thoughts of like, is this coming back? Am I going to feel okay? How am I going to play? Blah, blah. But then once I got on the court, um, I was okay. That was like my only like safe haven um, was being on the court because I had so many things to worry about figure out um so i felt great on the court once i got off the court i was terrible um thoughts were coming you know every 30 minutes every hour every 30 Mm. minutes of every day what about your heart rate was that totally fine my heart rate was fine in in check yeah yeah totally fine um and so uh come uh fast forward to the to the u.s open i play a third round match on uh night match on arthur ash stadium there where like you know it's the night match and you're playing um, 
you know, you're playing because it's you, not against, not because you're playing against some big name or whatever. And it's just different situation scenario for me. Um, and I get into the match and I get to the fourth set. I sit down and I'm change over and I'm like, oh man, it's 12:30 at night, and you know those matches go on late. It's 12:30 at night and. If even if I win this set, I'm going to get off and I'm going to depress and stretch and massage and eat. And next thing I know, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to bed till 5 a.m. And I'm going to feel like crap because even if you go to bed that late, when you're not hungover, you still feel hungover. And even if you don't drink, you know, whatever. And I knew I was going to feel like crap the next day. So I, right, right then, boom, anxiety attack on the court. And I, and I never had any on the court. That was my only place I could go and not have them. By this time, I was having them every 15 minutes of every day, nonstop. And I didn't know anything about it, you know, because I was like, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. At this point, I was, you know, sort of figuring it out. Like, I was telling my wife, my physio, Christian, but like, they didn't really know that much about that world either. Did you just deal with it? So, if, yeah. Before so, that point, like, every 15 minutes, like, I mean... You just endured it. Yeah, I'm just like, like, I'm just kind of like, I just want to curl up into a little ball. It's like a living hell. You know, like you just, yeah. you just, you can't stop the thoughts. And they just, you know, I don't have any tools to figure out because I hadn't seen a doctor yet. I'm not on any medication. So I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I just know that like, okay, I got off the court and I'd won that match and I got off the court and I'm supposed to play Federer in, in the next day not the next day day after so you get day in between but by this time it was the next day it was in the middle of the night yeah and um on you know my dad's birthday on labor day you know afternoon match against the greatest player of all time like the match that you ironically where it all comes together it's like the match that i wanted to get to so badly my whole life yeah and had sacrificed so much in the previous couple of years to get to this scenario, to play this guy in this scenario. And um, and I remember we we're sitting, waiting for the car, um, transportation to come get us, to bring us out to the courts. And I'm just like, you know, crying with my wife and we're just like, I can't, I don't know how am I gonna play? How am I gonna do this? And like, as athletes or tennis players specifically, like we're trained to not you know, to just not show emotion or fear throughout a match, you know, just stay in the moment the entire time. As if you waver even a little bit, you're, you know, you could lose your serve and then lose the match just like that. So we're trained to stay in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. forever until it's done. Right. And um, so I, I didn't, um, the thought never crossed my mind. It never would have crossed my mind to not play for a, for a, a non-injury that like I didn't have you know I didn't have an injury I didn't have like a you know something that I could show you here look sprained at the black and blue yeah. look at the black and blue on my ankle that I've sprained you know or whatever um it was all mental all in my head in my mind and um we got in the car and I'll never forget it my wife says you know you don't have to play and that, if she wasn't there, I never, that never, you know, it was just the thought never would have crossed my mind. Yeah. It just was never an option. Like, you know, not play because, you know, it's going to affect your hamstring and it could you know, linger. And like, I understand that, but not like just not playing because of a, you know, because of a, I've got anxiety. Right. Um, and 
when she said that, like my, like this sort of weight just lifted off my body. And I was just like, you're right. I don't have to play. And that was the only thing that like made me feel better. Right. It's like, I don't have to get out there in front of 22,000 people and play the number one player in the world. Um, and so I went to the courts and pulled out, pulled out of the match that I had done all this to get to mm. and I couldn't play, um, for, for, um, you know, what ended up being a, a, a severe anxiety disorder that, that kept me out of tennis for the better part of two years. Um, um, I desperately, you know, I desperately wanted to get back to sort of finish my career. There were times where I thought I was done. There were times when I knew I was done. And there were times where I was like, I'm definitely not done. But I wasn't playing. You know, I wasn't on tour and I wasn't playing. My ranking had dropped a lot. People were wondering what's going on and how, you know, why am I not playing? And I hadn't come out with anything and it taken, it took me three months just to, you know, not, without going to the doctor, not to just get out of the house and like do something. Like I stayed inside and just curled up in a ball on a couch for, for months. Were you still having uh, the anxiety? Yeah. Every so many minutes or were at home, were you able to have peace? Like No, rest, um, like? It, they were still coming, but it was less and less because I had, you know, gotten to a psychiatrist. I'd gotten the correct medication and I'd sort of started the process of healing and, and, and figuring out how to deal with it. Um, um, we're seven years, seven plus years now removed from that moment and, or that moment in time. And, it's still a daily battle. It's still a daily thing that I think about. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about some sort of um, that being a, you know, that being a part of my life at some stage every day. Um, it's obviously way better. I've, I've got a great grasp on it. I learned throughout the years and throughout those beginning months, it's kind of tools to, um, um, to change the, we always called it changing the channel on negative thoughts. So I would try and change. So what I would do, um, is I would take my mind to like a special place or like a happy place for me. And, and that, that one, that was, you know, maybe a, a golf course in North Carolina. So I'd go there to a golf course in North Carolina and I'd play the course in my head. So I'd tee the ball up, hit, you know, pull the club out of the bag, do the whole thing in my mind, trying to change the, my thought, trying yeah. to change the channel on my negative thought that I had on my anxious thought. Um, so there were tools that I sort of learned and meditated um, a lot, tried to just, you know, get away from what, trying to get really comfortable, get away from anything that really gave me stress in my life but but that was uh strange and odd and not comfortable because you don't want to i didn't want to live a life stress-free like what's going to get you out of bed what motivates you like stress motivates you you right. know like happiness and 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 <clears throat> you know getting excited about something which is you know stress you know good stress but it's stress 
I want, I still wanted stress or needed stress in my life. I didn't not want it. But I remember saying to my doctor, I was like, I just can't wait for this to just be behind me and just to not think about it and have my life back. Mm-hmm. And he did, I'll never forget. He said, Marty, this will never be, this will always be a part of your life. You'll always remember this time and you'll always learn how to deal with these emotions and these thoughts from this time. It'll always be a part of you. Um, and it will always be um, not um, the, you know, the the story of my life or the 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 theme or theme of my career or life, but um, it will definitely certainly be a, a part of it. Um, partly because I want it to be a part of it, because I like help. You know, I like um, uh, uh, talking about it, talking about my story, and then I also lo- really liked learning how many people were also dealing with it and struggling with mental health to some capacity. I just didn't know that there was a whole world out there where tens of millions of Americans are dealing with some sort of mental health issue. Um, and everyone's in their own little world um, is is a living hell and different than everyone else. Um, mine wasn't tougher than someone else's or different. You know, it was just different. It was just mm-hmm. mine. It was my world. Um, and in my world, it was it was that. Um, um, but I was, yeah, I mean, I went from a really bad place, a really uncomfortable place where I was, you know, I'd have thoughts of, am I going to hurt myself or, or someone that I love um, to, um, you know, to eventually getting my life back and eventually getting back to being able to finish my career, which was ultimately what I wanted to do. And um, I was able to do that 2015. So that was three years later. I was able to get back to the U.S. Open that very same spot and, and finish my career um, there at the U.S. Open. That was really important to me. I mean, you you coming back, finishing at the Open, like you said, is, I think, really brave to come back to because there's big unknown. Is there anything else coping wise that you've learned that you found to be super helpful? Yeah, I mean, there, there were a lot of things. I mean, I would learn from every little even today, sort of learn from every little um, um, sort of scenario or situation that would happen, every episode, you know, that would happen where maybe on an airplane and I'd sort of get, have an anxiety attack or something sort of out of the blue, completely out of the blue, but maybe I'm on an airplane by myself. Um, uh, and, and, and I would go, okay, well, let's break this down. Like what it was different. Why, why are you having this today as opposed to yesterday or last flight? Um, mm-hmm. okay, well maybe, oh yeah, that's right. I did have that extra cup of coffee. Um, and I'd kind of just break it down to where I was like, okay, well, caffeine, caffeine gets your heart rate going. Okay. That may, okay. One cup of coffee per day. Then I really like coffee. So like, you know, I used to have a bunch of coffee. So now, you know, one cup of coffee every day, um, is enough. And so I would, I would sort of figure out ways to cope. And then I'll never forget that one specific episode where I'm like, okay, if you're going to have two cups of coffee, maybe just don't get on an airplane, maybe be around close loved ones or people who you feel comfortable with. Um, otherwise let's just learn from that one and then move on to the next one. I think also becoming more aware of things that can trigger or yeah, Eat just foods and different. Yeah, trigger moments. Foods weren't necessarily an issue. Uh, alcohol, I really struggled with. Um, I just completely quit that. I just, I don't drink anymore. I don't miss it at all. Um, uh, and and just, you know, I'm always present 
um, two young kids. So I'm always, you know, present at home. And, and if anything happens at any time, I'm always, you know, like I said, I'm always present. I like that. Um, yeah. I like that feeling, um, you know, caffeine, you know, extra stress, excess stress that you really need to put yourself through. Um, I just don't, I don't put myself in situations um that give me a ton of you know extra stress or excess stress um um, but i but again i don't want to live a life that's stress-free you know like you don't want that um then i i struggle to get out of bed in the morning just you know because i don't have to yeah you know um but i you know there's still things that now i retired when i was 32 years old so what am i going to do with the rest of my life um initially i thought it would be fun to play a lot of golf and hang out with my had a son um that was you know one and a half he'd take a nap and i found myself every day that he took a nap i'd take a nap and the next thing i know i'm taking a nap every day and I'm like, what am i doing <laughs> you know i'm 33 years old now and like i'm taking naps every day like i gotta do something with my life you know um so you learn and grow from that sort of learn i've gone into a little bit of uh real estate i've gone into the tech tech world um learning a lot of different things that I meeting cool people, meeting interesting people is really fun for me too. And, um, so in retirement, you kind of, um, uh, I've, I've sort of moved into, um, you know, trying to learn different worlds that I don't, you know, know anything about, um, you know, whether that's, you know, making, you know, for financial gain or not, um, you know, because we live in L.A. I live in L.A. now and mm-hmm. uh, private school isn't cheap. And, you know, so you got to got to do something to to keep going. And, and um, you know, you're comfortable, but but you you know, I don't out, outreach myself at all. But um, I certainly am motivated to do different things. And that's fun for me. And for speaking about just the mental health in general, do you have any other things set up? I jump at the opportunity anytime ever, anytime anybody ever asks me um, to either talk to someone. I've talked to a lot of athletes. I've talked to a lot of tennis players, male and female, people that you've heard of, that people mm-hmm. have heard of, um, that have struggled with it uh, over the years. Um, I really enjoy helping in that aspect. Um, I haven't started anything or... Um, um, you know, a foundation or something like that. Look, when I, when I was going through this all, um, I'm a sports fan at heart and Mm -hmm. an athlete at heart. And, um, I didn't have, a a success story to sort of fall back on from the mental health side and go, you know what, like that guy, had this similarly and went through it and he got through and he got back and he played at a high level again. Like I didn't have that to lean on. I didn't know um, of at a high level, an athlete had never really come out and said, I've had this, I was off, you know, playing or whatever. And now I'm back and I'm flourishing. Um, Right. There was no success story for me. Um, So, Ultimately, and I wrote a, an article with um, the Players Tribune when I came out um, on my last tournament at the U.S. Open, where um, I want to be that success story. I want to be that story where, if a, a younger kid that loves sports, maybe in tennis, may not be, but has heard of my success story of me 
uh, uh, having my career being taken completely taken away from me through mental health. And then not only did I get it back, but I got it back and I went to went straight back to that place that took it away from me, which was at the US Open. Um, and went back there and 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 played well and won. Um, not the tournament that I wasn't trying to win the tournament. I knew I wasn't winning the tournament then. My winning the tournament was getting back on the court. Um, um, that was my championship, my title um, was to be able to get back there and play again and uh, play there specifically. How did that go? Did it as, as far as uh, your feeling like anxiety or nerves yeah. or? It went Before okay. Match it went okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. Um, you did it though. It I was feel like. really hot, dude. That year it was incredibly hot too. So it would have been, you know, like looking back is like, you know, that would have been the perfect scenario um, to uh, to get into uh, weather wise, and you know, it was just so hot. It was perfect. I ended up playing an Italian kid in the first round, and and I, you know beat in ended up beating him in a long match but i you know it felt good like i was really comfortable with um ended up losing in the second match in the second round but it wasn't about that i was just i was so content with with knowing that was my last tournament um so content on the court um, mentally as well just like you know i really struggled with how to handle over the years handle the negative stress you know like not everybody can handle it like Federer does or like you know Tiger Woods is very good at handling um, negative energy or negative stress or negative um, you know when something doesn't go right meaning um, I was never great at that like I would always you know either blame myself or deflect to others and I just I never you know at the end there it was so I was so comfortable with the with the result you know I was really mm -hmm. comfortable with um what I what I was able to accomplish, meaning just get back there, um, what I had accomplished in my career, um, and um, I was I knew that I was really comfortable knowing that when I was done with that tournament, I was going to put my head down and know that um, that I had done everything I could to get as high as I could possibly get to there at the end, um, in the you know sort of middle and end of my career. Um, really comfortable with that like you said well there wasn't anyone speaking out about mental health it hadn't been on your radar at all and i was thinking um i don't think you can really relate to it if you don't have some kind of feeling around anxiety or what does that mean for me personally i'm very like calm relaxed person but i also stressed my body i was traveling with a amazing entertainer around the world finished a big world tour and then was asked to help another uh entertainer. Yeah, a lot on your plate yeah yeah flying flying you know in and out of shows and then went to this Tony Robbins event it was like amazing with Sarah with my wife and like this event was super intense as far as like 16 hour days but I was tired and then I flew home and landed in LA and Sarah flew to do a job so I was also alone and I had had uh, my left calf had felt like tight for like a couple weeks. And there's a thing called a DVT, deep vein thrombosis, where it's a blood clot that can dislodge into the lungs, the pulmonary embolism, like you can die. It's yeah. like serious. 
and I had treated, I'd worked with in the past, all through physical therapy school with a, a guy that actually died on the table multiple times from a PE and came back. I just knew the severity of it. Uh, so in the back of my head, it was like, this calf is there, I hope it's on a blood cut because I've been flying so much. And then I get home and I sit down and I was like, oh, let me just check out my calf. And you don't massage, a, if you think you have a blood clot, you don't want to like aggressively massage that, but I'm just thinking I'm fine. And I push on a little bit and I feel this warmth go up through my like chest and I freaked myself. I was like, oh my gosh, did I just dislodge this clot? <clears throat> I stand up real quick and then I'm like lightheaded, which you stand up quick thinking about it now. But it was so, when I was alone, it was such like this emergency situation where I felt my chest this pounding, like, did I just dislodge this clot and am I gonna die? And I felt this urgency, like I need to go call an ambulance or like go to the hospital now. But I felt like this, the energy was so intense. It's like, I'm on the verge of passing out. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but anyway, I ended up getting to the hospital. But I just thank you for coming. Like, cause I was, <laughs> it is so scary with like, when you mentioned like you were in Miami, your heart's racing. Yeah. Uh, Christian, thank God, was able to like come and help you through that situation. But it's like, I don't have family here. Yeah, like you're very alone. You're, you're alone. You know, and I'm like, you know what's ironic <laughs> with my situation too, in that like a day before, um, there was a soccer player that had died. A young soccer player had died on the pitch and he was like 22 years old and he had like a heart issue or something like that. And, I, and that was in the back of my mind as well. Oh, yeah. So I so it was like I, <laughs> I felt like, holy shit, I'm dying. I could die. Yeah. Like and it was the same, you know, same sort of feeling. I remember getting your call and I'm like. <laughs> I don't know if he's got this DVT thing. I don't know what <laughs> DVT is, but I'll head over there because he doesn't have anyone here and he's probably just, you know, I've I've dealt with this health issue, this sort of mental issue that um that I know all too well and and it's nice to just have a friendly face there to make you smile instead of, you know, feeling like you're going to you're gonna die and then um yeah and then gerard butler was there <laughs> freddie that was pretty <laughs> funny man <laughs> looking back that was pretty funny yeah you guys uh... you thank god gerard butler was there though because he got those nurses going <laughs> to check you out because you were fine it did seem like it i just feel like man this is I didn't really trust the care I was getting. I felt like, like, I don't know. I just was, yeah, it was, I was, I was like, what I had to, I felt like I was going to pass out was the thing. It was terrifying. Like, yeah. what if I pass out and then like someone does something, they don't know what they're doing. Like, I didn't trust like the hospital that I found. Yeah. It was appreciated. <laughs> it was like, but, but, but uh, in comes Gerard Butler on, yeah. his, on his motorcycle and, and <laughs> Those uh, guys so nice. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you still talk to him by the way? Yeah, I mean Gerard and and Freddie, uh, they were at the Tony Robbins event. Yeah, that's why. Like, yeah, we had it, it was so so emotional. Like this big, uh, so it was so nice. Like for them to come and for you to come, just the support. But uh, but then you took me and like, you took me like too. You need to get a. Uh, you came home. Comfort food. I came you with came you. Back. I came yeah. to your place. You got me some In and Out. Yeah. Like, uh, but. What you I realized, stayed the night. Stayed the night. The night at the house, yeah. yeah, and you're like, you should stay like another night because Sarah like was still a you know like yeah. on her job somewhere on the East Coast. Yeah, but I feel like as a guy too, like you don't want to admit there is some like shame tied to like there's like a weakness, mm -hmm. or at least I felt like that. But I feel like 
it for me it's like well i understand why that it because i had this in the back of my head my body was tight like and it can be a life-threatening scenario like it makes sense yeah. but it also doesn't make sense but the feelings were real you know what i mean mm -hmm. and and when i but what i experienced after that is like it's a real injury like you said withdrawing from the open it's like a hamstring or an ankle injury uh but it's a mental thing but it is it is like an injury for for me it was like an injury to my nervous system it took me a while to uh, be able to kind of reground myself like, yeah uh, i think what people too have to understand too is that it's not like uh it's not anyone's fault like it's not your fault that you got to that point you're actually working too hard yeah. Like I was sacrificing too much. I was too dedicated. I never really stepped back from it all and went, yeah, man, this is pretty cool what I'm doing here, you know? And same with you. Like, man, this is a pretty cool experience to be a part of. Amazing. You know, these are pretty cool people to be around that I didn't think I was going to be around, you know, um, ever. And um, and I, I, I think it's important, you know, I mean, like as athletes – and as men, you know, we're sort of trained to be mentally tough and strong and not show fear or show weakness. And I thought it was a really, it's a really strong thing to actually the opposite, to be the opposite, to do the opposite, to show weakness is actually strength nowadays and maybe not what you've learned in the past. Mm -hmm. With your son, is there anything... He shows weakness a little too much. He's a little <laughs> soft right now. My five-year-old trying to toughen him up a little bit. He cries a little too much. But, and your daughter, uh, Stella? She's tough, man. Tough. She's tough. Those women, man, they're tough. <laughs> women are tough, and she is no different. It's just like my wife, she's uh Stacy's wife, Stacy. Yeah. Uh, how, how did Stacy help you? She was an angel. Um she was an absolute angel. I don't know where I would be. I don't, I don't know if I'd still be here, honestly, um, without the support system that I had in place. Um, her, Christian, my father, um, obviously my parents, my mother as well, but my father like came out um, and spent like two weeks with me. I mean, Stacy put her life on hold, completely on hold and just catered to like how I could feel, how I was feeling. I mean, her life at the, at that time was, you know, was kind of, I mean, she was so good um, with uh, uh, understanding and having me uh, or, ha or knowing that my career was sort of first right now in our lives. Obviously, our lives, we were a team, mm -hmm. but um, I wasn't going to play forever. And she was so good at setting everything aside to be by my side um, or to know that I had to make some sacrifices it may not be the best for our relationship but you know or being together at that specific moment but that um that it would all you know we were a team and that it was all for for a good you know cause and um uh yeah so i mean i i don't know i, I you know i came away from the, that whole thing no you know understanding why um people do some pretty scary stuff um, why people take their lives at times. Um, I can understand that. I wasn't there that far, but I was close. Mm -hmm. um, I was really close. And I don't know if um, if I didn't have the support system that I had um, for it. Um, there's no telling where I'd be. 
um, because I can understand why people commit suicide because they don't want to live that that life. They can't live that life. Um, it's a living hell. And um, inside, like I said, inside everyone's uh, everyone's world is is you know is the same when you when you have something like that. So it doesn't matter if one's more or less than the other. It's all each other's living hell. And um, so I, I get that. Um, I understand that. I don't. I came away from it. I think a better person as well. Not judging nearly as much. Why do? Why does that guy do that? Or why does that guy do this? Why does that person? You know, why did that person do a certain thing? I, I don't. Um, I don't uh, judge nearly as much as I used to. Um, and I think that's for the better. I guess last thing is Davis Cup. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a it's an absolute dream job of mine. Um, I think it's the best job. Uh, once you retire from tennis, um, in my opinion, the best job you can get. Um, I, I loved playing Davis Cup. Um, uh, I loved being a part of the team aspect. We don't get much team stuff in tennis. Um, and then I loved playing for my country. I loved playing for the U.S., uh, hearing the national anthem before matches, um, having that tracksuit on, having the American flag on your back. It's pretty amazing experience. And then to be able to guide the guys now, and um, I always had my eye on that job, um, even when I was playing. Um, when I when I was done playing, at some point in my life, I wanted to be the Davis Cup captain. I didn't know it was going to become this soon. Um, but I certainly love it. Um, and we just finished our first year um, as a captain. And, and um, we've got a great team and some awesome guys. And, and um, uniquely, they're, they're friends as well. I mean, some of the guys I competed against. And, um, and uh, it, it's a really fun experience to, to sort of lead these guys instead of play, play for them. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a blast. Is there anything in particular as a coach you've had as a strategy or to help support and guide the players to, to help them be the bare best. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's the, of course. the most fun of it, um, of helping in that regard is, is sort of helping the ones that, that you see a little bit in yourself. Um, when you were younger, you know, when I was younger, I just didn't understand. I wasn't lazy. I just didn't understand exactly what it took. Um, the dedication, the professionalism, like I said, what it what it took to get everything out of you. And so the ones that I can see that aren't doing that, because um, not everyone understands it, those are the really fun ones, the really fun kind of projects to to set aside. And there are a few guys that um, that I absolutely love helping um, and um, and hopefully will will, you know, maybe turn their careers around or. Um, get to career highs to where they, you know, do some things they've never done before. And, um, and, and being in a position to where you're the Davis cup captain, you have, you know, it garners a, a little bit of respect, um, because everyone wants to play. Um, and so they, they respect the, the title and the job. Um, and, uh, and then they also, um, hopefully have my respect as a friend. And so they know that that comes from a good place. Well, they're lucky to have you. Thanks, We're lucky. Man. Yeah, thank thanks you for so having much. me, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a five-star review. 
Every listener matters to us, so please leave your comments along the way to let us know how we're doing. Until next time, wishing you all the wealth, health, and happiness in the world.